Would you stand in the presence and reading of God's word this morning coming from the book of Galatians, Paul writes in this sixth chapter, listen for the word of the Lord. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Have you heard the story of the woman who went out shopping one Sunday afternoon? She had been in the store more than an hour. She had collected a large number of items. She went up to the checkout stand. They rang up all the items. She began to look for her checkbook, having a little trouble finding it, began to take items out of her purse and put them on the counter. About halfway through, she pulled out an item, and the clerk was surprised and said, is that a remote control for your television? She said, well, yes, it is, and put it on the counter. And the clerk said, do you carry that with you all the time? And she said, oh, no. I asked my husband to go shopping with me this afternoon. He said there were too many good games on TV to go with me today. I thought this was my best revenge. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Now, if it happens this afternoon, Phil Mickelson's trying to win his first U.S. Open, so wives, it's, and it's his birthday, and it's fun. Give him a chance. But. but I tell you the story because of this. Too often, we let others dictate our behavior. We let others dictate our behavior. You see it in children. They're playing together. One child grabs a toy. The other child grabs the toy back. One child hits, the other one hits back. Who's dictating the behavior? Oh, it happens with youth too. A little rumor, a little gossip, a lot of drama at high school. Something about them. So what do they do? Oh, maybe start something about somebody else. Or you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you say, hey, not today. And you race ahead and cut back in. They're dictating your behavior. It's happened to me. I hope you didn't see me this week. <laughs> Oh, it can happen in adult relationships, too, in any number of ways. Maybe somebody slides you at a social event, so you plan one of your own, conveniently making sure they find out, but never sending an invitation. Or maybe someone criticizes you at work, disagrees with something you had to say, and so you look for your opportunity to sabotage them the next time you have a chance. Or maybe it's like the couple who are driving along on a country road. It's very quiet in the car. The tension is pretty thick. You see, they had a discussion earlier that sort of digressed into a debate that ended up in an argument, and neither one of them wanted to concede their point, so they are not speaking to each other. 
And then finally they come around a curve and there's a barnyard of animals, I mean mules, goats, and pigs. And the husband's driving says sarcastically, relatives of yours? She says, well, as a matter of fact, yes. In-laws. <laughs> You've been there? <laughs> I'm sensing some of these people up here are laughing too hard. Too often, we let others draw us into a negative cycle of personal relationships that just cycles downward, that deteriorates until we're living a life that is not worthy of a Christian. Paul calls it living according to the flesh. All through this book of Galatians, he talks about living according to the flesh versus living according to the Spirit or living in Christ. He says we shouldn't be living according to the flesh. He gives some examples in chapter 5, if you want to look later, about half of them have to do with negative interpersonal relationships. I've put them in your outline. When he talks about this deterioration of relationships, he lists enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, and envy. Have you ever experienced any of those? I've lived through some of that. I have slipped into some of that, and Paul says that's living according to the flesh. And it reminds them, you're a follower of Christ. We're to live a different way. They're not supposed to dictate our behavior. Being a follower of Christ is supposed to dictate our behavior. We're supposed to remember through the week, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how I decide how to live my life. And he says, you just got to understand, you reap what you sow. If you sow negativity, you're going to experience that. If you sow positive seeds, you're going to have positive experiences. You have a choice. You can be mean or you can be kind. You can be harsh or you can be gentle. You can be a fighter or you can be a lover. Paul says the difference is living according to the flesh or living according to the Spirit. He wants us to be followers of Jesus Christ. We gather here this morning because we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, given that, we have to remember that in, in the body of Christ, we want to do good. We're the ones who are to do good, to build others up, to encourage someone, to compliment someone, to hold open the door, to look for ways to serve others. So in our very actions, we exhibit the love of God we've come to know through Jesus Christ. So then, he says in verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. But I found with worldwide news and 24-7 coverage that there are so many opportunities, so many people in need that I sometimes get overwhelmed. I mean, there's too many good opportunities. So we have to discern where God is calling us to focus in on those opportunities that we should be responding to in particular. It really is important to discern which opportunities God is leading us to be a part of. 
Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. You may have read it, bestseller, maybe the best business book I've read in the last 10 years. Does a 15-year study to distinguish between companies that are just average or good and those that distinguish themselves and become great. After looking at lots of companies, he finds a group that have been able to do that over a 15-year period. He writes and shares lots of insights about what helps them move to greatness. I just want to share one with you where he talks about opportunity. And what he says about that is when they get really clear about the core or the center of who they are, and they follow that and they stick to that, that these once-in-a-lifetime business opportunities come along a lot more often than once in a lifetime. I find it to be true in our lives as well. It really reminded me of my history here at Boston Avenue. Many of you will not know that back in 1978, I came here to serve. Harold Reynolds and Virginia Gray were our Christian education ministers. They're both still active in the congregation. They had a youth pastor resign in the winter. They needed someone for the spring and summer. Dr. John Russell was the senior pastor. He had a young man identified who was still in seminary, couldn't come till August. I don't know why for sure. I had dropped out of college. I was living off my folks. They called me and offered me a job. I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> I came up here and had the privilege of working for five months with Harold and Virginia and so many of you. It was a great experience. Then I went back to college, finished the degree, went on to seminary at St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City, finished that master's work, came back to Tulsa, First appointment right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Christ United Methodist Church, 1987. I was in my third year there. Howard Plowman, Dr. Howard Plowman, also now active at this church, was the district superintendent. He called me and said, David, I need you to drive downtown and talk to one Muzon Biggs. I'd met Dr. Biggs once. He did not know me. I knew who he was. I said, okay, came down, talked with him, met with the staff. He called Howard back and said, we'll take David Wiggs as our youth minister. Dr. Plowman called me and told me so, but I had reservations. I wasn't sure that I was ready to go. You see, I was at Christ United Methodist. It's the church my wife grew up in. We had a great family of support, not just her family, but the faith family. I mean, we were, we were having great results with the youth. I was having a wonderful time. I had a wonderful senior pastor. I just wasn't sure I needed to move. So I went in to see the senior pastor and said, I'm not sure that I'm going to accept this move. He said, I don't think you understand. First, he explained, we're United Methodists, and the bishop appoints and sins, and we go. <laughs> but he went further and said, David, I don't think you understand. Boston Avenue is one of the greatest United Methodist churches anywhere, anytime. They're going to give you opportunities that you'll get nowhere else. I really think you should take this appointment. We love you here, but I really think... This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I took his wise counsel, called the superintendent, said, I'm, I'm ready to go. I didn't know it, but Dr. Bob Pearson is with us today. Bob, give us a wave. He is the one that counseled me and got me here in 1987. We appreciate you being with us. I realize that sometimes God gives us more opportunities 
And so we have to discern where to go when. We need to be sensitive the way God is speaking to us and leading us. And that can be tricky business, but it's good to ask the question. I've put it in your outline. Where is God leading you to serve? It's important to discern there's so many opportunities, lots of them good things to do, but which one would really be great for you? As it turns out, Boston Avenue wasn't a once in a lifetime or twice. Actually, I've gotten to come here three times. <laughs> do you know how rare that is? I am so very grateful to be a part of this congregation for the third time. So often, God gives us these opportunities if we have eyes to see and hearts to respond. I've put in your outline some things to think about, though, as you're discerning. Sometimes we struggle with that. I've put there the place to start. Noting your gifts and talents is a good place to start. God has gifted all of us. None of us here come without gifts or talents, without purpose. Our faith believes that God has created us and endowed us and given us gifts and talents to share with others for the good of the world, for the common good. Think about what those things are for you. What is your gift? What is your talent? What is your passion? Where might you serve? I also suggest number two right there to make it a matter of sustained prayer and reflection. In other words, over the course of time, talk with God about this. Think about it, pray about it, continue to ask. But still, sometimes it can be foggy and fuzzy and we're not sure which way to go. So the third one I've listed there for you is be sure you talk with other people about the possibilities. So often those close to us, those near us, those who know us best, see it before we see it. We're struggling. It's difficult. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure which way to go. A friend, a sibling, a spouse, a parent, someone around, maybe one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, they've already seen it. Talk to those around you. They can help you discern the way God is leading you. It's good news, friend. God is here for us. We talked about it last week, if you were with us, that God is choosing us and sending us. But God would not choose us and send us and not equip us God will equip you God will resource you God will empower you to do what God calls you to do it's good news to know the Lord is with us God will provide God is faithful in doing so I want to tell you one last story before we close it really challenges me in this arena of trusting God to provide in all circumstances, even when we cannot figure it out on our own. It comes from a missionary doctor who was serving in Africa. She says that every morning, the orphanage with which she worked gathered the children together to pray, and on this particular morning, a little girl, Ruth, said, I'll pray today. And she says, as always, these children were so bold and concise and direct and their prayers, and Ruth started out, God, we really need your help. Please send us a hot water bottle. It'll be too late tomorrow, Lord, so send it this afternoon. She said, I was taken aback. But what she was praying about was a baby that had been born the night before prematurely. We were trying to keep this little one alive. We had no incubator. 
In fact, we had no electricity for an incubator. We had a hot water bottle trying to keep that little one alive. And during the night, it had split and burst open. And so we were really in trouble. And then little Ruth went on to pray, and Lord, while you're about it, send her a dolly so she'll really know you love her. The missionary doctor said, you know, it was time to say amen, but it was hard for me to say amen. I just really didn't believe that God was going to send us a water bottle this afternoon. I mean, the only way that could happen would be if I got a parcel from the United States. I'd been a missionary doctor for four years. I had never gotten a parcel from the United States. I mean, I know God can do anything, but I was just struggling with, would God really do this? We finished our time together. I went on about my duties, she says. I was teaching a group of nurses. We were training a group of nurses there. It's the middle of the afternoon, and someone rushes in and says, there is a car at your house. They need you. She said, I left and hurried over there. By the time I got there, the car was gone. But on the veranda was a huge cardboard box. I rushed up there and looked. It was from the United States. I thought, I can't open this alone. I called for the children. Soon, 30 or 40 sets of eyes were staring at me as I cut open the box. Right on top, beautiful jerseys in children's sizes. I began to pass them out. The children got excited. Then some medicine I can use. Then some bandages for our leprosy folks. And our, we had a ministry there to lepers. And then she said, I reached in there. Could it be? I felt it, but I couldn't believe it until I, I pulled it out. It was indeed a hot water bottle. She said, I clutched it to my chest and began to cry. But she said, I barely began to cry when Ruth rushed forward and said, if God sent the hot water bottle, I bet he sent the dolly too. <laughs> and she began to rummage around in the box and dug down in there. And sure enough, from the very bottom, she pulled out this very petite doll, just as soft as it could be. And the missionary doctor says, at that point, I realized this. She was trusting God more than I. She really was. Little Ruth was trusting God more than I was trusting God. That parcel had been sent five months earlier from my home church, from my own Sunday school's class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle to a doctor serving on the equator. Friends, I tell you, God is faithful. God is alive and at work in our world, and God will provide. You can count on it. There's testimony to it all through this great book of ours. In that context, Paul says to those early Christians trying to decide if they're going to live according to the flesh or according to the Spirit, are they going to be followers of Christ and let that dictate their behavior or just respond to others? In that context, he says what we read in verse 10, So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. Amen, and thanks be to God.